on this episode of TR Talk. The main thing you need to do is just invest something. And you know, there's a lot of research about investing in yourself, investing in a company, investing in your education, investing in your skills. But when you do that, you become hyper committed to it. And when you become committed to something, uh, then your identity starts to change. So really, there's a lot of research about how you can like radically change who you are, your skills and abilities. So kind of the main thing that happens after a point of no return is that people have this high expectation uh, where they totally believe that it's going to happen. They become super confident, super optimistic uh, because they've removed alternatives. That's why it's a point of no return is because they've kind of put themselves in a position where they have to go forward. We're back, folks. This is TR Talk Podcast with Tommy Tahoe Lamo and Ryan the Hawk Warner. Yes, I just gave myself that nickname during this intro. This week's guest is Benjamin P. Hardy. He's a PhD in motivational psychology and is the number one writer on media. Oh, yeah. He has a book coming out in March. Get your hands on it when you can, folks. Want to give a shout out to this week's fan of the week, Ryan Ardizi DeMarco. He hails from UNH, lives in San Francisco, and is a sales rep at Salesforce. Ryan, keep doing the Lord's work, baby. We appreciate everything you do. If you want to give some love for the podcast, I got three things for you. Go ahead and rate us on iTunes, subscribe, and post us out to the interwebs via the social platforms that we all know and love. Without further ado, let's go into Clemson, South Carolina, go Tigers, to talk with Benjamin Hardy. All right, Benjamin Hardy, welcome to the show. Welcome to TR Talk. Thank you, guys. We are really excited about this one. So you're calling in today uh, from... Good old Clemson, South Carolina, on the day of the S of the um, excuse me ACC championship game. Yep, they play Miami tonight. Things, Big game. Things must be pretty crazy out there. I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I mean, it, truthfully, uh, it is a very small college town, but uh, it does get crazy here. Yeah, I mean, this is all the people do. How big is Clemson? It's small, man. It's like it's just the college. I mean, the school itself is like. 25,000 people, but outside of students, there's like 10,000 people that live here. Wow. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Good old college town. I grew up near Iowa City, Iowa, and that's a similar similar type of feel. The university is probably about 25,000, 30,000 people, and in the summer when no one's there, it is a ghost town. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing here. I believe it. Well, we'll be we'll be pulling for the Tigers. We'll be wearing our orange tonight. Um, <laughs> um, but let's let's dive on into this, man. We're we're really pumped to have you on and, and talk through this. And Benjamin, you are really a prolific writer uh, around personal development, and you know we read your your articles a ton, and they've really helped us to give us that extra kick, give us that fuel, um, find that motivation, which I think is really important. Um, and I think it stems from, uh, you know, your PhD in motivational psychology. So I'd love to start there on, you know, really what is that and, and learn from that piece. Yeah. So, I mean, motivational psychology, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a broad subject. Uh, it's not like I study, um, like athletes more, it's business psychology and motivation and high performance is a huge aspect of that. So it's organizational and motivation. So basically my my field is helping organizations, leadership be most effective. How do you set jobs up so that people, you know, crush it basically? And so you're, I mean, along with 
the PhD, and, and we're talking about this a bit, but you probably have to do a ton, a ton of reading, and you're probably a very well-read man. You can get that from any of the articles you post because you're talking about all these different books and quotes and, and sources. So what is that, that process of learning like? It seems like you're, you're constantly learning more. Yeah, I mean, so there's a few different angles. I mean, I, I've spent my whole you know undergrad and graduate time doing a ton of academic research, just digging through. I mean, what you do when you're doing a PhD is you really decide one subject that you just want to go super deep into. Uh, and my specific subject, and we can talk about this later if you want, is I've spent my whole uh, PhD studying the psychological differences between wannabe entrepreneurs versus actual entrepreneurs. And there's some really cool stuff in there. Um, but so really, that's kind of the deep psychology side. And a lot of the things that I've done is spent a ton of time just studying leadership theories, motivation theories. There's so many different theories of motivation and about like what actually is required for someone to be motivated. So, I mean, that's a lot of kind of like the deeper psychology stuff. Then obviously I read all sorts of stuff, just self-help books, uh, business, entrepreneurship books, marketing books. So I, I kind of study it all. And let's let's peel the onion back on, on what you're you know, going deep into the the entrepreneur angle. We'd love to you just hear your thoughts on that. What, what have you learned? What are you writing about? What are you reading? Um, really, on the uh, that that deep granular level you just mentioned with the entrepreneur. Yeah, and yeah, I think that this is kind of some of the really cool stuff um, that I really don't hear talked about a lot. So basically, during my master's thesis, I specifically interviewed a ton of people who claimed that they wanted to be entrepreneurs. Um, so there's kind of two groups of people in that category, people who are just employed by someone, but actually say that they want to be an entrepreneur. And then there's people who are kind of taking steps forward, but the research kind of just calls them dreamers. Like they're just not really, they're taking a few steps, but they're not fully invested. And then I interviewed a bunch of people who are just actual entrepreneurs. Uh, and after studying them all, and it's kind of it was kind of like in a Brene Brown way, it was qualitative research where I was just interviewing people and then digging through their responses and looking for themes. And kind of the biggest theme that pulled out, which ended up leading to all the research I've been doing ever since, is a concept that I've called point of no return. And it's a, it's a concept I've written about a lot. And essentially what it is, is it's a moment in which, well, basically, first off, Almost every actual entrepreneur I've ever interviewed has said that they've had some sort of point of no return experience or multiple. Hey, hey, ben, uh, I just want to stop you real quick. What is entrepreneur defined as? Ben, let's keep going. I'm loving this talk track so far. But what is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, in the case of the research, it's someone who started up and is currently managing a firm of some sort. Could be okay. one, could be multiple, but it's someone who started a company and is managing it in this case. Mm hmm. And uh, almost all of the wannabe entrepreneurs have said that they have not had such an experience, but they anticipate it. And so then the question is, well, what is this point of no return? What does it look like? How do you create it? And what happens afterward? Uh, and very rarely does it happen as an external event. So like one of the people I interviewed, he said his point of no return was when his brother committed suicide. Like his brother killed himself and that put him in this like serious emotional funk and he really started to think about life, you know, and about how short it is, how fragile it is. And he realized, I have to go for this. I have to, I have to do what I'm doing because it's so important. That's kind of the exception to the rule. Uh, most quote unquote point of no return experiences happen when someone takes 
quote unquote, a leap. But what that leap actually is, is mostly just making a financial investment in something. So like one of the, one of the people I interviewed was a 16 year old kid. And he said his point of no return was when he and his friend invested $10,000 in a shipment of shoes. And like once a big diesel, I mean, once a big semi truck came and dropped off $10,000 worth of shoes, he realized he couldn't go back. He said it was do or die. And what's kind of cool is that like when that happens, when you become invested in something, you wrap your identity around that thing and your role shifts. So this kid said that like in that moment, he realized he was a leader of something and he saw himself differently. And then there's kind of a lot of crazy cool research in this area. And I don't want to go too far because I don't know if you guys have questions, but no, let's uh, keep going, baby. Let's keep going. I'm loving to tell this. you a little bit more about this. Yeah, yeah let's go deep, it. man. Let's All go right. Deep. So have you guys heard of sunk cost bias? No, I don't think so. It's an economic term. Basically, sunk cost bias means that when you're invested in something, you keep committing to that thing just because you're invested in it. Like, let's just oh, okay. say you, yeah. uh, you know, you invest in a company and it's like obvious that the company is failing, but for several reasons, you keep pouring more research, resources into it, more time. Uh, so the concept is called escalation of commitment. Basically, when you're invested in something, you yeah. keep committing to that thing, even if it's obvious it's wrong. And the main reasons for that is kind of to rationalize your first decision of making that investment. Second reason is just to protect your ego. Um, so sunk cost bias is, it's huge. I mean, basically what it really means is that we, we overvalue things that we own. So like if you own a t-shirt, you're going to think it's more valuable than if you saw the same t-shirt in the store, just because you own it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and why this is super important is because you can apply this principle in a positive way. So most of the research looks at like when people are invested in something and like, let's just say a company is failing, which most companies will struggle in the beginning uh, and it'll look bad. People who want to have a point of no return or shake up their identity, change who they are. Is the main thing you need to do is just invest something. And, you know, there's a lot of research about investing in yourself, investing in a company, investing in your education, investing in your skills. But when you do that, you become hyper committed to it. And when you become committed to something, uh, then your identity starts to change. So really there's a lot of research about how you can like radically change who you are, your skills and abilities. So kind of the main thing that happens after a point of no return is that people have this high expectation uh, where they totally believe that it's going to happen. They become super confident, super optimistic uh, because they've removed alternatives. That's why it's a point of no return is because they've kind of put themselves in a position where they have to go forward. Yeah, and I, that's an interesting concept. And so what I'd love to get a, a clearer understanding of is that that really critical turning point, right? Where if we're sticking with the, the example of the kid and, and his you know, new business where he pays, I think it was $1,500, like the people that are faced with that decision where they know if I make this investment, I'm all in. If I don't, I'm half ass and it's probably not going to work. <laughs> like what, what propels people to actually take that leap or if it's, you know, I'm going to quit my job and start my candy company or whatever it is. Like what makes people actually take that leap? Yeah. I mean, I think in the form of financial investment, which is really, I mean, a lot of people did say it was quitting the job. And, uh, obviously there's a ton of, there's a ton of different reasons, but when it comes to investing, resources, which is really what I'm talking about. I think, I think at just some point you just, I, I mean, it's really hard to say what, what leads someone to make that decision. What I'll just give you some of my own examples. Like, you know, I've invested tons of money in my own education, not, and this is 
outside of um, this is outside of academia. Like I'm a part of what would be considered very expensive, high level mastermind groups. You know, some of them high in the tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and the re- and what propels me to make that decision is knowing that. And there's two really cool psychological concepts that. Uh, kind of compel me to do this. And I think people intuitively know this without knowing the research, but basically I know that when I make that investment, it's going to change my psychology. Because uh, at a subconscious level, a person's results, their behaviors are a product of what they subconsciously believe they can do. And it's a, it's a, so like some people, they try to like be positive, but their subconscious beliefs are really low level. Like they have low self-esteem, low self-image. And so even though they may have bur- like spurts of positivity, for the most part, they're pretty low level. And so I know that when I make an investment in myself, I'm basically training my brain to believe that I, that I deserve and that I can do and have a lot. And so um, I call it a psychological upgrade. Basically, you shatter your subconscious beliefs when you make an investment in yourself. Um, so I think when people like this t- uh, 16-year-old kid invest in something, he's obviously willing to take a risk. Uh, there's some research that a lot of research, actually some of the core, uh, motivational theories in psychology talk about how you're kind of either in one of two camps with your, with any decision, either you're on offense or defense, they call it approach or avoid. And if you're willing to approach something, let's just say, start a business, you're going to obviously have to be more focused on the rewards than the risks. Cause if you focus a ton on the risks, you're probably going to not do it. And so at some point or another, you have to like convince yourself that the rewards are worth the risks. Mm. Can, can you, I, I wanted to put a pin in that, um, I didn't want to interrupt you, but in that mastermind group, can you talk a little bit more about what exactly that is? I'm, I'm not super familiar with. Yeah, I'll tell you about a few of them that I'm a part of. And really there's, it's actually so cool. And I didn't actually explain the two psychological concepts that I think, so there's, by the way, this is something that's I think super important is that in the late 1800s and all throughout the 1900s, there was a huge focus on like nature, like over nurture, like people, like there was a lot of the core leadership theories back in like the fifties and sixties were, I mean, the main first leadership theory, by the way, was called the great man theory. And the belief was that like, first off, only men could be leaders. Second off, they had to have very specific traits. Like they had to be like over six feet tall. They had to be extroverts. Like, and so there was an obsession with, these fixed traits and it even still persists now. Like there's so many personality types, strengths, finders, all these things, but a lot of like the true core research in psychology and even in biology now is kind of really turning that away and showing that actually human beings are a lot more flexible, like brain plasticity. There's a field called epigenetics, but even on the psychological side. And so I'm going to go into your question, by the way, I just kind of wanted to preface this. Um, There's two really, really cool, ideas in psychology. One is called self-signaling, which basically means that you as a person judge yourself and you identify yourself the same way you judge other people. So basically the research says that we don't actually know ourselves as much as we think we do. We judge ourselves based on our behavior. So if you wake up early, for example, for like 30 days straight, you're going to start to identify yourself as someone who wakes up early. If you start running, you're going to identify yourself as a runner. And so like we actually judge ourselves based on our behavior. So that's the reverse of what most people think. Most people think your identity and your personality is what leads to your behavior, but it's actually your behavior that creates your personality. So that's that's one thing that I think is really cool. 
Uh, and then the second one is a concept called precognition, which is basically the idea that you can predict how you'll feel and what you'll be thinking based on the based on the choices you make. So like if I wake up early, I know that I'm going to feel motivated versus if I sleep in, I know I'm going to feel like crap. Um, and so you can even put yourself in specific environments and you'll know that that'll change your identity. And so now this comes back to the mastermind. So the first one is um, if you've heard of Joe Polish, he's a really awesome master marketer. He's got a gene. Uh, he's got a mastermind called Genius Network. Have you heard of that one? Um, I have not. So Genius Network is it's up there. I mean, I know that like the summit now summit's a huge one that uh, is. But basically, Genius Network is it's considered one of the top entrepreneurial mastermind groups. It's actually another word for it's the 25K group. Um, they just had their annual event in November. I actually spoke at it. Tony Robbins spoke at it. Uh, often Peter Diamandes has hosted it. Um, it's a it's a huge event. But Joe Polish, he's like considered one of the best marketers in the world. So he's got a 25K group and then he's got a 100K group. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have heard of Dan Sullivan. And it. I have not, um, but does the 25K, is it safe to assume that's the cost to get in that group? Yeah, it costs 25,000 okay. bucks a, a year to be a part of that mastermind. It's expensive. Okay. Um, and then there's a 100K group as well. And the people in the 100K group, there's like, I don't know if you've heard of like Russell Brunson. Um, he does click funnels. I mean, there's like, there's maybe like 15 people in the 100K group. Um, okay. And like Dan Sullivan, who's the founder of Strategic Coach, he's in that group. And, um, Anyways, kind of going back to this idea of making an investment in yourself, having it be a point of no return and having it change your identity is when you make an investment, like join a group like this. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a join a group like this. It could be honestly just like buying a, a product, you know, I mean, it could be mm -hmm. joining an online course, I mean, whatever. But when you make this type of investment in yourself, what Dan Sullivan says is he says, when you write the check, all of a sudden the ideas start coming. And uh, I can attest to that. Like when I joined Genius Network, I felt like my identity changed. And I knew that at a sub subconscious level, I shattered my previous subconscious beliefs about what I could have, what I could do, what I could be. Um, one of the rules of Genius Network, because it costs $25,000 to join, there's a huge belief in what they call 10x thinking, which is basically the idea that if you don't 10x the investment, then you're, then you're not a good fit for the group. Uh, and so if you can't take the ideas from, like if you can't take ideas from what you learn in the group or in collaborations from the group and turn that $25,000 investment into at least $250,000, then you can't actually rejoin because you're just not getting out of the group what you wow. need to be getting out of the group. I mean, it's very high level thinking, but that's, that's the psychological upgrade that they're talking about. Um, and, and you're just like, it, it just provides a network for you guys to find mentors and mentees and bounce ideas off each other. And there's events and that's like, generally, it, it kind of gets you access into a whole new next level network is pretty much. Well, I mean, the it's a bar of entry. I mean, so Joe Polish says he would do it for free just because he loves it. But he says it wouldn't work if it was free because, mm. you know, then it the fact that it's $25,000 weeds out a huge portion of the population. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it basically creates a certain type of atmosphere. It creates a certain level of room. Um, and then, yeah, the collaborations are a lot higher level. The expectations are higher. There's a lot of research um, in organizational psychology. You know, there's a, there's a concept called the Pygmalion effect, which basically means that 
you rise or fall to the expectations of those around you. You know what I mean? We're very humans. We're very mimicking creatures. You know, we like to like adapt to our environment. And so we, you know, if, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, it's Salesforce, for example, like, you know, it's, there's a high energy. There's a lot of, it's in San Francisco from what I understand. I mean, that type of culture is very different than a culture somewhere else. And, uh, at some point or another, you kind of either adapt to the culture or you don't. And if you don't, you probably leave. For sure. No, that's, I could certainly attest to that. It's a, it's a, there's a high bar there's a standard that's really high that it's you either get there or, or it's not a good fit. Um, I, I'm just blown away by this entire conversation, Ben, to be honest with you. One thing that you said about shattering the subconscious, you said it's, it's an expectation that it will happen. And then it really, a an insane belief that what you want or what you've invested in will happen. Um, and I'm sure you've read this, but I just got done with this book called You Are the Placebo. And they talk about how you know visualizing and having that expectation that things will happen or what sets people apart. So how, how important is visualization to you? I mean, it's freaking awesome. It's huge. Um, and actually, I mean, going back to the subconscious, really, and I've written a lot about this, but your subconscious is kind of it's most malleable like first thing in the morning or right before bed because your brain waves are kind of slowing down right when you're going to bed and so to speak of visualization so there actually there's a really cool quote by thomas edison he said never go to bed without giving a request to your subconscious mind and your subconscious is always like learning transforming uh, its understanding at night so what i do first thing in the morning in the form of visualization is really just write in my journal i write out my goals uh, your brain is most creative. Your subconscious is most, you know, like accessible first thing in the morning. And so if you goals for the day, goals for the month, goals for the year, what does that look like? Kind of, I mean, on a daily basis, I would say mostly I'm just writing about specific targets. Sometimes I'll write about my goals for the year. Um, sometimes I'll like think huge picture and just like write what I want to do like five years from now. But on a daily basis, it's usually like, what are like the five big things I'm really trying to do like right now? And what's cool is, is going back to the Edison quote and even going back to the idea that you can shatter subconscious patterns is just when you begin thinking about stuff specifically in the morning, you can have uh, insights. You know, it's like when I'm writing in my journal and I'm just saying like, I want to like, I want to have a best selling book, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm writing that I'm going to have a best-selling book in kind of the affirmative way, visualizing it happening. But then the important key is, well, what's the how? You know, there's a really good quote that says, when the, high, when the why is strong enough, you'll figure out how. And that's because when the why is strong enough and you experience what psychologists would call expectancy or hope, you know, this expectation that it's going to happen, then you, then you allow your brain to give you strategy, you know, so that may be like, reach out to this person, ask them how you can help them, you know? And so for me, it was like, just one example was I was writing in my journal a few months ago and just saying, I actually need to speak at the Genius Network event because I want to give a bunch of advanced copies of my book to everyone there, including Tony Robbins, you know? And, uh, and I didn't know how I was going to get on that event because the there was no way for me to speak there. I mean, the the whole lineup of people had already been established a year before but by writing my journal by thinking about it by shattering those subconscious beliefs i mean really there's often a way um mm -hmm. 
you just don't, you just kind of have to figure out the right strategy. Um, and when you have the strong enough why, you'll figure out the right strategy. So really, I think most of the morning journaling is you need to know what you want. You need to believe it enough to have that expectancy. And I don't think that you'll believe it unless you're pretty dang invested in it. Um, once you're super invested in it, you begin tying your identity to it. And by the way, a big shift in the point of no return is when entrepreneurs, when wannabe entrepreneurs, they, they have this shift where they stop saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. And they actually say, I am one. You know, there's a shift in identity. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just start to figure out the strategy. So I think first thing in the morning is just brain dumping in your journal how you're going to achieve what you want to achieve, whether it's like get a raise, whether it's like write a viral blog post, whether it's, you know, meet a hot girl, whatever it is. Uh, it, it's, it's writing the strategies and then following up on those things. And that's where I think the rewards versus the risks switch, where you start focusing on the rewards and you start be willing to take action. And again, this goes back to those two concepts of like self-signaling and precognition. It's like when you start taking action and start behaving in certain ways, you'll start to like actually think of yourself in that way. Uh, so if you're wanting to achieve a big goal, and then you start acting towards that goal, you'll start to like believe you can have it and then eventually you'll have it. Dan Hardy, you're dropping some fucking knowledge right now. My <laughs> I'm it, in. <laughs> Dude, you, uh, you got to talk about um, fixed mindset versus growth mindset because this scares the shit out of me that a lot of people think that, hey, I'm just born and I'm just not good at math or I'm not good at speaking or I, I can't do this or that. Can you just speak to that in some of the the heavy duty research behind it to back up the fact that fixed mindset's nonsense. I know we've talked about it a little bit. Could you speak to that before we wrap things up here? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so one real important consideration, even before going into this, basically having a growth mindset in a lot of ways is it, it could be synonymous with just the word confidence, which is confidence is basically the ability that you can figure stuff out, that you can learn, that you can grow. And there's a ton of cool research. If you want, I'll give you guys a link. Um, so basically, there's a. If you haven't heard the word meta analysis, a meta analysis is basically when a researcher accumulates, like, you know, it could be 10 to 100 research articles on a specific subject. And they kind of just say, like, okay, so 100 articles have been written about, let's just say, confidence. Let's kind of just try to find, like, what all of these articles are saying. And so, so there's a really cool meta analysis all about confidence. And it kind of goes reverse of what most people think. So most people think that confidence is what produces high performance. You know, it's like, oh, confident people are the ones that are doing really well. Well, the research is actually the opposite. It says that people who do really well are the ones that are confident. You know, and this goes back to the idea that your behavior is what shapes your identity. And we have this obsession with personality types and traits. And so people think that you're either born with a fixed mindset or you're born with a growth mindset. And that's kind of the big misconception is that it's, just not true. It's like, if you have a fixed mindset, it's because you have a lack of belief in yourself because you've been behaving poorly for a long time. And probably it's because you're in a crappy environment. Um, but you can shift it. You can develop a growth mindset or you can develop confidence by just beginning to behave in certain ways where you start to believe in yourself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to go to what you're saying, the research is super obvious. If you believe you can change and if you believe you can learn, you're way more resilient. You're way more likely to learn and you're way more likely to to change. <laughs> and if you have a fixed mindset, first off, it's just ridiculous because it's, it's all a fixed mindset really is, is it's, it's just a story that you've told in yourself and it's being pounded in your head based on the behaviors you continue to perform. 
if you change your behaviors, you're going to change your fixed mindset. So kind of like confidence, a growth mindset is something that's just developed based on behavior. Just to really hyper simplify it, a fixed mindset is the product of people behaving in poor ways and basically losing a sense of confidence in themselves. You know, and so they actually believe this is the sickening part is that they believe that it's a fixed characteristic of them, like their personality. You know, and I think that this is the big problem that I think is going to be a huge shift. It's actually going to be my next book um, is that personality is not a fixed character. Send us a copy, Ben. Send us a copy, my friend. <laughs> well, by the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I want to send you guys some advanced copies of my book that comes out in March. It's called Willpower Doesn't Work. Uh, and so we'll talk about that after. We'll promote the shit out of it on the podcast. Thank oh, you, for ben. sure. Um, but basically, one of the things that I, one of the huge myths I want to shatter is that personality is not something that's like fixed. Like, and so if someone thinks that they have a fixed mindset, it's just because they keep behaving in similar ways and keep surrounding themselves with similar people. But you can go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset by changing your behavior and changing your environment, surrounding yourself with positive people and just behaving in ways that increase your confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can 100% attest to that. I mean, I moved from, um, from Boston to San Francisco about a year and a half, two years ago. And just from being in a new environment, being around new people, being in a different you know, role at my company, all this stuff, like not for better or for worse. I mean, hopefully for better, but but not necessarily to say, you know, one place or one group is better than the other, but I can attest that I feel like a whole new person two years later. You um, are a new person. Just my thoughts <laughs> and, and all that. Yeah. yeah. For sure. When it's like, and how crazy is it, right? If you you know, we're big uh, fitness guys, right? So if you start working out every morning, you start to believe that you are strong and you are healthy and that gives you confidence uh, in that capacity. Then, for example, if you get a promotion at work, all of a sudden you believe that you're now a sales rep at this level. We're both in sales. So that's an easy example. But like if you're a, a small business rep and you get promoted to mid-market, all of a sudden you start believing you're a mid-market rep when really the only thing that's changed is your belief of what position you are in the company. You had it yeah. the whole time, right? Yeah. And if you change your behavior, I mean, yeah, I mean, all this is just true. So, so there's some really, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much longer we have and I don't want to go too deep in it. I go very deep into it in my book, Willpower Doesn't Work, which is all about how your environment's what shapes you. And so if you really want to change your life, you have to change the environment. Um, and you basically create an environment that then creates you. Uh, but there's so much research and really just big ideas about how your identity is a product of your environment. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty cool stuff. And you are you are a different person from one situation to another. I mean, think about it. Who you are when you guys are together at the gym is different than like if you're like back home with your mom. You know what I mean? You're in a different role. You act differently. There's different ro- rules and different expectations about how you should act. And so from one situation to another, you are not the same person. Love it, man. And this is something where it's just refreshing to me because it, it really removes any of those blocks that you might have developed as a kid because a teacher told you you weren't good at this or that or or whatever, right? Or even your family told you you could or couldn't do this. So very refreshing, very liberating. And Ben, we definitely want to have you back on the podcast. We're going to shift into um, a quick five-minute rapid-fire questions from our audience. And I'll just start because I like the process of writing. So I'd love to understand what's your writing routine like when you sit down? Like, Talk us through that. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm not someone who writes every day. I know I don't follow that procedure. Mostly for me, I sp- I, again, I spend a lot of time in my journal and I think about ideas that I think are important um, 
just ideas that I think would be cool to riff on and write about. And then I think about what's like kind of the emotional experience that I would want the reader to have. And then before I ever even start writing, I need to put myself into that emotional experience. And so, you know, given that you guys said you guys like fitness and things like that, I mean, that makes sense to me because usually what gets me into what I would call a peak state or the like the emotional place where I would begin writing is generally like right after I work out. Um, And so I put my, Mm -hmm. basically for me, the process is put myself in the mental and psychological place that I want the reader to experience and then write from that place. And so I don't write if I'm just Mm. having a crappy day because I know that the writing will be bad. Uh, So I think about topics. I write lists, you know, Uh, I write like a structure of here's like, here's an idea. And then here's like, here's five sub ideas that I could riff on and write about. And then I put myself in the mindset that I want the experience to be. Those two points are really interesting. I just wrote those down. Um, You know, that what topics would be cool to write about for one and then two, the emotional experience you want the reader to have. But let's say you have those, right? And you say, all right, it's time to write. Medium's calling. I got to get out another best-selling medium article. (laughs) You sit down, do you have coffee? Is it in the morning? Is it at night? You know, how long does it take? Um, Yeah, I'll tell you. And so, you know, usually I'll write in the morning, right after a workout. Uh, I find my best writing is definitely like before noon, you know, usually before like 10 a.m. And yeah, I'll open it up. I write the title. Again, you need to start with the title. You need the title to be awesome. And the title can change throughout the course, but you need to have like a very specific angle. Um, And then I write down, you know, what the subheadings would be. You know, often it's just a list because that's easy to organize things. And also that's a an easy way to write viral stuff is to write in lists. And so let's just say I want to write about, you know, you know, how to change your identity. Uh, and I would think about like, what are like the five things that I want to say about that? Then I would, so I'd write the title and then I would write the subheadings first. That's kind of the bones. Uh, and so if it's a list, I'd be like, well, here's one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, and then once that, but once the bones are done, you know, I just write stream of conscious, you know, and if there's stuff that pops in my head, I'll start researching a little bit of it, pull open Google, open some stuff. I mean, I think it's good to pull some sources in so that it doesn't look like it's just my opinion. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's good when you're writing to really not hold back. Like if you want to write something super aggressive and punch someone in the face with your writing, um, kind of don't hold back, say, say stuff that like you really are feeling like when you're in your most either motivated or, you know, passionate state is just kind of say what you really want to say. And so I, I just do it that way. I mean, I just write the bones and then I just write it. And usually if it's like a, if it's, if it's like a thousand words, I can usually write that in like 30 minutes. But if I, some of my articles are super long, um, where they take like 20, 30 minutes to read, those ones usually take me like five, four or five hours. Yeah. And <clears throat> you're talking about the passionate state. Are, are you familiar with uh, James Altucher? I think that he does such a great job of just letting his heart out on the pages and uh, being vulnerable and, and all that. I mean, I think he's just brilliant. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. I haven't met him, but he's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know of his work. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had him on um, a couple weeks ago and I mean, he's he's one of a kind. So I, I just, I've become more and more interested with, with folks that... Um, you are willing to kind of uh, put their own experiences out there and not really care what others think about that. Um, so just to transition to another really quick rapid fire for you, I'd be curious, you've given our audience some great advice. Um, is there a piece of advice that you hear or bad advice that you hear in your field that you'd like to correct or that kind of you know 
uh, upsets you a little bit when you hear it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, going just back to my, uh, the whole concept of my book, which is going to be, which is called Willpower Doesn't Work. I mean, I, so I'm a, I'm a foster parent, had three kids for going on three years. They're six, eight, and 10. And uh, just kind of going back to some of the themes we've talked about, I don't care how much willpower our three kids had, if they were still, you know, in their crappy environment that they grew up in, they wouldn't be able to do much. Uh, And so there's a lot of people that, especially here in Western culture, you know, we live in America, we're very individualistic, we, we don't really notice the surroundings that shape us. And we think that we can just kind of do whatever we want. And uh, I think that willpower is really bad advice, especially for addicts. And we're, and we're also becoming an increasingly addicted culture, you know, addicted to stimulants, depressants, sugar, you know, addicted to technology and work. And so Willpower doesn't work is one, but there's a lot of people, most Americans think that willpower is awesome. And I think it's garbage. Uh, even, even grit, you know, grit's like a super exciting topic. And I think it's the same thing. It's like grit, you know, being gritty, quote unquote, gritty is cool. But again, if you're in a crappy situation, it doesn't matter how gritty you are. And so I think that smart people um, who really want to be successful are really aware of what's around them. And uh, yeah, you need to have a positive mindset. Yeah, you need to be motivated. But I think you also need to be strategic about what's around you and continually adapt to better and better environments. And so I think that just most of the individualistic notions are bad advice. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's huge. And I do really enjoy, I, I read uh, Angela Duckworth's book on grit and I really did like it, but you're right in the sense that it doesn't matter how gritty you are or how hard you work. Like you got to put yourself in the right position around the right people, uh, put yourself in the right vehicle. So I think that part kind of gets overlooked. Um, so I think that's valuable. Um, and so let's, let's wrap this up. I mean, you've been really, uh, generous with your time. Um, you know, the last thing I know you mentioned a bit about your, um, your upcoming book, but any last thoughts either on that or anything else for the audience. And then obviously, um, it'd be good to hear where we can find you. Uh, Medium might be a good place to start since you are the number one writer on the platform. Yeah, so Medium's an awesome platform. Uh, you can definitely find me there. Obviously, if you just Google Benjamin Hardy, you can find me. But, uh, you know, Medium's probably the most relevant place to find my stuff that matters to people who are interested in, the, in these topics. Um, yeah, as far as last thoughts... Um, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that I haven't covered. I would just say, you know, for people who, I mean, just kind of going back to the fixed versus growth mindset, you know, don't, don't put your, don't over put yourself in a box, which I think is so easy to do in Western culture. Like don't over believe this, don't over believe the personality tests. Don't over believe, you know, all of these things. Because the truth is, is if you change your behavior and if you change your environment and if you hyper invest in things that you care about, then you can change your identity. You can become, I wouldn't say you could become whoever you want to be, but you can become a lot of things. You can very much direct who you are and who you become and how you see yourself and how others see you by specifically behaving in certain ways, investing big in what you want. Because when you invest, you become committed. And when you become committed, it becomes a point of no return. And you begin to identify with that thing. So I would just say, choose what you want, invest in it, shatter your subconscious patterns. Powerful Ben Hardy. Thank you so much for coming on, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode with Benjamin Hardy. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Coming up later this week, we have the great and powerful James Altucher, possibly the most interesting man in the world. Looking forward to that one. If you'd like to support the TR Talk podcast, you can do so by subscribing on iTunes, leaving a five-star review, or sharing across the interwebs on social media. So much love for everyone listening out here. We'll talk to you next time. Out.